Let's bow our heads and let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we just thank you. Great is your faithfulness, Lord God. So merciful to us. You are so worthy of our praise. And Lord, we do pray for that, that you would be praised and honored and glorified today. May we sit at your feet. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak into our hearts. And we thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, how many of you have ever looked into or used the services where they uh, look at your DNA match? I'm not going to name the actual service, right? But how many have ever done that? You've done uh, a service to see your DNA, to see the match, see your family history? Only a couple of you? Okay. Well, Jamie got, got those for us, and we happened to do it for both of us. And um, uh, we did it to kind of see our heritage, but possibly learn about our respective family trees. And uh, so you might imagine mine was pretty unsurprising, except for one little surprise I had, right? So they did the DNA match, and I'm 98% Korean and 2% Native American. All right, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just want to see if you're paying attention, all right? 98%, someone's watching online, no way. If my mom's watching online, let's say, what is he talking about? All right, 98% Korean and 2% Japanese. But then again, I wasn't too surprised, right? If you know the history of Asia and stuff, right? Jamie was a little bit more surprised. Uh, she's 50% Scandinavian. By the way, Jamie is my wife, by the way, if you don't know. 50% Scandinavian and only 7% German. We thought she was more German, but she's only 7%. 29% England and Northwestern Europe. 8% Wales and 6% Irish. So she's a beautiful collage and potpourri of other things, of other places. So on St. Patrick's Day, my kids can proudly say, hey, I'm Irish too, right? Uh, the service also... Uh, matches, they look at public records to help you trace your genealogy, right, your family tree. So mine, again, not so complicated. I don't know much about my father's side. By mother's side, it can only go back three generations, my grandfather and his parents, right? So all I have is names and potential birthday and date of passing for my side. Again, Jamie's was a little bit more in-depth. She was able to go back 14 generations in her family lineage. Public records going further back and further back. 14 generations. I thought that was amazing. That's biblical proportions. You know, it's pretty incredible. So I thought that was pretty amazing. And she can go back from like colonial days and even before then. So pretty neat. Family history is pretty interesting, right? It's really, it can be very fascinating. And I encourage you, if you don't know much about your family history, and you have your parents alive, and they ha still have their memories, and you have your grandparents alive, take the time to learn your family history. I would encourage you to do that, right? I wish I had, I did that more. 
I'm going to try to do that more, you know, and, and try to learn from my mom while she can communicate it and remember it herself. And, uh, but I would encourage you to do that. Take the time to know your family history. Um, genealogies can be an interesting study. Though I have to admit, genealogies don't make very interesting sermons, right? They, I've, I've been at many different conferences and subject matter like prophecy conferences or topics like marriage and family series. I can't say I've been to any genealogy conferences, right? Not a real popular topic of conversation. However, we're going to see some interesting highlights of genealogies in these next chapter and a half. After the murder of Abel that we saw last time where we left off a couple weeks ago, right, chapter 4, the latter half of chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Genesis covers two genealogies that we're going to take a look at. I'm not going to read all of it, so don't worry, but there are some very interesting notes. And I want you to consider chapter 5 kind of like a time lapse chapter. You know what a time lapse thing is? When they they like speed up time and so you see like a flower grow really quick and trees grow and all those kind of things. Chapter 5 is going to be like that. Okay? Um, But among that chapter, those two chapters, there's going to cover 10 generations from Adam to Noah. 10 generations. But of those 10, besides Adam, two are going to stand out that we're going to see. Two among that 10 generations that stand out. Before we go there, let me just highlight a little bit. I don't know about you, but I don't remember what last week was like, so let alone two weeks ago. So I'm going to remind us of what we've been looking at from the time of our study to highlight the first four chapters of Genesis. And as we started our study, I I mentioned that there's a threefold focus that we're going to do in our study, right? That we're really focusing on as we go through the Old Testament. One is we're going to learn or understand more about God and his story. Better understand God and his story that he's telling throughout scripture. Okay? The second emphasis, better understand ourselves and our story. These days, a lot of people have different, like, twisted views and understanding of God. Understanding what's going on in life. And they have a a, a broken view of themselves, a broken understanding of their own lives. So we want to better understand God, better understand his story in scripture, so that we can better understand ourselves and better understand our story. And then thirdly, to better understand God in our story. That God wants, is writing a story in our lives. So how we understand God in our story, in our life. And we looked at in the first two chapters of Genesis that God is the sole creator and designer. He creates with purpose and intention. God is master over creation. And that God is the provider for his creation. Right, so we see this theme throughout the first two chapters that the Lord God is the lone creator. He alone is creator. Now you think, well, why is that significant? Well, remember when this is put together and brought before the Israelites, the Hebrews are coming out of Egypt, right? This is an important reminder for them. They've been in Egypt and then in that culture that has all these gods, they're worshiping all these gods of all these different things. 
And it dispels the notion that there's any other gods but the one true God. There's only one creator. And this God is over all creation, right? So man was created to be patterned after God, to be his image bearers and representatives. So we look at this theme of image and likeness. It starts here in Scripture, and we're going to see this theme throughout Scripture, that God creates man specially from all other creation. He created him in his image and in his likeness, to be his representatives, to bear his image, But we'll see this pattern as we go along that man in his sinfulness creates his own images, his own idols. Then we'll see how God creates his own people, right? But then even his people follow their own images. We'll see this pattern. When we'll get to that, we'll see, right? But then we'll see in the New Testament how God comes in his own image in Jesus Christ, right? And Jesus patterns up patterns us in his image so we see this theme of image and likeness god's image and likeness throughout scripture so god created man and woman with distinct identity right distinct identity and purpose from each other man and woman distinct but individually purposeful purposeful for one another and he gave them responsibilities and he gave them authority But he also gave them freedom, freedom to enjoy his blessings, freedom to enjoy what he created, right? What we saw, though, God gave them all this freedom, but he said there's one restriction. There's only one restriction you have. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, what? You will surely die. Well, Adam and Eve... The first man and woman, not only did they give in to their desires, not only were they deceived, but in reality, their action represented a questioning of God's character and his intentions, right? They allowed themselves to be deceived, and they gave in to the desires, the the, the lure of the fruit, but in reality, their, their actions, what it ended up doing, it questioned God's provision, Question God's character. Well, God knows if you eat of this, you're going to, what, better yourself, right? You'll be like God. So ultimately, they end up questioning God. So we know what ends up happening. They deceive, they ate of the fruits. So now all of us, we inherit something, right? We inherit what? A corruptible body, right? We're all going to die, we all age. We're just, someone, we were just talking about aging earlier this, today. Right? We inherit a corruptible body, but also what? A corruptible mind. We inherit a corruptible mind. And what we saw is the depths of that corruptible mind last time with Cain and Abel. What ended up happening? Abel was warned, right? He did not provide a suitable offering to God. And God said, Cain, why is your look? Why do you look so, why do you look so downcast? Don't you know that if you just do what is right, do what's pleasing, your countenance will be lifted. But Cain, what did he do? He went out and murdered his brother, right? So we see the depths of this corruptible mind, the corruptible sinfulness of our minds to lead us to do things 
that we wouldn't even imagine of doing. So the Lord warned Cain to maintain control, but Cain allowed sin to master him. All right, so that's what we come covered in all the four chapters so far, all right? Pick it up in verse 16. So after the Lord dealt with Cain, you see, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So here we see Adam and Eve, if you remember, they were banished from the garden. They were east from the garden. And now Cain is banished, and he's going further east. Where the land of Nod is, we don't know. We don't really know the, we don't know where Eden was, right? But the land of wandering, we don't know exactly where this was. But Cain is banished to go forth. Now I'm going to fast forward, okay, do some time lapse between verses 17 to 24 of chapter 4, briefly chronicles the history, the line of Cain. So we see Cain's descendants, and it goes seven generations, okay? Now I find it interesting that even though God judges Cain, God does not condemn his family line to futility, right? You could easily see God say, all right, because of what you did, Cain, you won't be fruitful. You're not going to have any kids, and you're going to be banished into the wilderness. We could, that could be conceivable. But it's interesting that God allowed his, his lineage to go forward. And in fact, his lineage has a lot of firsts. Remember, this is a history lesson for the Hebrew people, right? The Israelites. So they're kind of going back, and they're learning back of, of a, a history of a time ago. Cain builds the first city and names it after his son, Enoch. It's a different Enoch from what we're going to look at in a moment. Here's some other firsts. Cain's great, 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 great grandsons were pioneers. Verse 20, Yabal was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Verse 21, we see Yubal, not to be confused with his brother Yabal, right? The father of all those who played the lyre and pipe. So he brought music into this, into the, with the lyre and the pipe. Tubal Cain, another son, or another descendant, is the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. Okay, so here we see a pioneers coming from the line of Cain, which is kind of interesting, right? Again, God doesn't just banish this family line to, to be futility, but out of this family line comes a lot of pioneering and things that we have benefited from as well. But there's some other firsts in Cain's lineage. It's the first instance of polygamy. Lamech takes two wives. And sadly, this is going to be something that we're going to see later on. This isn't going to be the only instance of polygamy. Verse 25. And Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. So here we see that God provides another son in place of Abel. Now chapter 4 concludes with a very conspicuous statement. It stands out. It ends then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Right, that kind of stands out a bit because we've seen the history with Adam and Eve in the garden. You have Cain and Abel. We see this lineage and set, God provides Seth. But then we have chapter four end with, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. 
What does that mean? Right? Usually we, we understand the call upon the name of the Lord kind of like a worship ex- expression, right? We know that Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel had some level of direct fellowship with God, right? We know that Cain and Abel presented offerings to God. This seems to indicate that the, this is the beginning of people calling upon the specific proper name of Jehovah or Yahweh God. They don't el- it doesn't elaborate any further. But again, if I'm a Hebrew listener, right? If I'm an Israelite coming out of Egypt and I'm hearing this, what this tells me, the name of the God that delivered me out of Egypt, people had called upon his name long before. Long before the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From early years, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So for the Hebrew listener, for me, if I'm hearing this at the time, I'm thinking we, people have been calling upon the name of the Lord long before the gods of Egypt, right? So God's relationship with people and their worship, that's going to be an ongoing theme as we journey along. Another theme we will see as we journey through the Old Testament is a contrasting genealogies. There's going to be contrasting ge- genealogies, this theme throughout between God's plan of redemption and a lineage that represents man's disobedience. We're going to see this theme of these two genealogies. We see it here with Cain and Seth. Cain's lineage, disobedience, and he's banished, but he still has a genealogy. But then we're introduced to Seth's line, his genealogy, his lineage. And we'll see this theme, right? Maybe you can think of what's another example You can think in your head, Isaac and Ishmael. Again, this is really important, especially if you're following along the conflict in the Middle East. The conflict between Israel and the Arab nations, this is not just a current political thing. This is not about land in itself, right? This goes back generations upon generations. And so we'll see, as we see the birth of Israel, the people of God, we're going to see the roots of this conflict. But anyways, you see this theme, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. Here's one twist about this whole thing. David's lineage came out of sin, right? It's kind of an interesting twist, Bathsheba. From David and Bathsheba comes, do you guys know? King Solomon, right? So it's interesting that even in disobedience, God's plan of redemption carries forth. But here in chapter 5, we see this begins, this re-emphasizing, this distinction of creation of man and woman. Verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them both man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. So God provides Adam and Eve with another son in Seth. Now, of course, we're told later that Adam and Eve had many other sons and daughters. So this is not the only children they had. But we see God's special plan of redemption through the lineage of Seth. Now, I'm not going to read verses 4 through 32 all the way through. You can do it yourselves, right? Go home, grab some food, and just read the genealogy if you wish. Have at it. Go for it. Good nighttime reading if you want. I don't know. You can have at it. But here's the genealogy from Adam to Noah, 10 generations, right? 
Adam has a son, Seth. Now, if you see, if you see on the screen, there's some numbers in the parentheses, right? The first set of numbers is the years that person lived when they had the next descendant named. So for Adam, he lived 130 years, had Seth, then lived another 800 years for a total of 930 years, okay? So it goes down the line in chapter 5, it goes down the line. It's interesting, some things to note. Methuselah, here's a good Bible quiz. If, how many of you have ever done a Bible quiz? Like in youth group or something like that? Any of you? This is sure to come up. Who is the oldest one in the Bible? Methuselah. He lived 969 years. Okay? It's interesting to note. Now, some people look at this genealogy that it's literal years in consecutive order. Some look at it and say, well, it can't be literal years, consecutive order. Maybe they just represent periods of time, right? If you take it literally from years of time, so it's literal as you go, like he lived this many years and the next son and the next son and the next son, there's some interesting things to note. Adam dies 126 years before the birth of Noah. That's kind of interesting, right? Here's 10, like nine generations down, but he, li- he almost lives to see the birth of Noah. Seth dies 14 years before the birth of Noah. Um, some interesting things. Methuselah, he lives for the birth of Noah's sons, but dies the year of the flood. Lamech, his son, lives for the birth of Noah's sons, but dies five years before the flood. So it's kind of interesting. A generation goes through, but the forefathers dies off before the flood. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came and lived another 350 years later for a total of 950 years. What stands out to me, right? You think this is kind of boring stuff. This is not a great sermon, Pastor Mike. What stands out to me in all this, if you take this literally, you see that Adam lived long enough to see generations of consequence for his disobedience. That stood out to me. I can't imagine that. That he lived long enough to see generations of death and the depths of sinfulness that started from that one moment in time. That'd be kind of crazy, right? I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe that's interesting to you. Maybe you're not really interested in that, but I think it's interesting. He witnessed generations. As the generations goes on, the degree of sinfulness grows and increases. Of the 10 generations listed here, from Adam to Noah, we're only given two positive reports. Actually, Adam's report isn't really that positive either, right? Of the 10 generations listed here, only two are given positive reports and given with some extra information. All we see about Seth's genealogy is birth and death, something that's not seen in Cain's lineage, right? We don't see that same description in Cain's lineage. But from Seth's, we see birth and death, but that's about it for each generation. We don't know much about Methuselah. We don't know much about Lamech. We don't know much about Jared. He is not the one who pioneered jewelry stores, by the way, right? 
But all we have is these two people who have a positive report. Goes on, and Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Verse 22, then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now why does that stand out? If you read chapter 5, you'll notice a repeated phrase throughout each generation. It'll say, all the days of so-and-so were this many years, and he died, right? You'll see that all throughout the genealogy. So-and-so lived all the days, this many years, and they died. Not so with Enoch. It says, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch is known as one of two people who did not face death in all scripture. Enoch, and who was the other person? Correct, Elijah. I didn't want to embarrass you, you know, if anyone was watching, I didn't hear what you said, right? Enoch and Elijah, the only two people in scripture we know that did not face death. If you know the Bible, Elijah was taken up in a fiery chariot, right? Elisha witnessed Elijah being taken up, up in the sky. Here we see Enoch, God took him. That word to took, took him means to take, to take in the hand, to take and carry along, to take from. So it means that God took him and he was not, right? He didn't follow the same pattern of death. God just took him, right? We'll get to Noah next week but what made what does it take to stand out among a generation of people here is 10 generations of people yet among the 10 generations there's one particular before besides noah that were given special information that stands out from among all the other descendants what was it about enoch was it that he was an innovator was he uh, an inventor of music? Was it that he was able to pioneer, forge metals? Was that, was that it? Like Cain's lineage? That wasn't it. What stood out for Enoch? It said he walked with the Lord. He walked with God. That word walk is synonymous in both Old Testament and New Testament of how you live your life, right? How you lived your life. That is what he was known for. Of all the things, if I was to ask you, what are some things you'd want to be known for, right? Maybe you have some lists in your mind. Here's what Psalms 15 says. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. So here you see the term walk, right? How you live your life, someone who lives your life with integrity, works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, Paul says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, I beg you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. 
All right, Paul says, I beg you, live your life in a manner that's worthy of God's calling for you. 2 John 1, 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So again, this idea of what does walk mean, right? How you live your life. So if there's something for you to be known for, how you lived your life, what would you want to stand out from the crowd? What would it be that you would want someone to hear or remember about your legacy, your genealogy? We had the privilege of uh, celebrating my mom's recent birthday, 89. Turned 89. And we, we all as siblings who were there, we shared some things that we remembered about my mom. And we, would, we did that before for my dad too, after he passed. What did share some of the things that we wanted to pass down to our children to remember about our parents, right? And I gotta admit, you know, with the great blessing, and I'm not saying this because my mom will hear it. I don't know if she's gonna hear this message, right? I'm not trying to win brownie points with my mom. And yes, when you get to my age, you're still trying to do that with your parents, right? But the legacy that stands out among, she's a great cook, she was always willing to clean the house. Above all those things, she was a servant of the Lord. I mean, tireless servant of the Lord. My father was a servant of God. His faith was strong as anyone I know. That's what stands out for me. In Hebrews chapter 11, we know that chapter, right? that chapter of faith, the chronology of faithful people throughout Scripture. Among that lineage of people of faith, we have Abel and Enoch mentioned. For Abel, it said, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Why is Abel mentioned for faith, right? If you go back in Genesis, we don't have a, a mention of Abel's faith in Genesis, right? But here in Hebrews, he offered the best of what he could offer. That's what we know about Genesis, right? Abel offered the best of what he had. He was a shepherd and he provided the first of his flock. This is the best I can have I give to the Lord. That takes faith, doesn't it? Doesn't it take faith to offer God our best that we can offer and say, God, I am gonna offer you my best and trust you and honor you with it. Because let's, let's face it, right? Sometimes that's a challenge. It's a challenge to have the faith to trust God with our best. To know that God, I can trust you with this. You're worthy of my best. You're worthy of my trust and I offer it to you. Cain did not, was not notable for that, right? Goes on to Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. He was pleasing to God. 
Next week, we'll see the level of degeneration of humanity as we look at Noah. We'll see that we're not so far off from those conditions today. We're going to see the level of depravity in the days of Noah. And if you're honest, you look about what's going on in our culture today, and our society today, around the world, we are not so far off from that, in my opinion. How was Enoch able to stand out? Think about it. Generations, morality is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. How was Enoch able to stand out? And for another 300 years after he has a son, Again, it's emphasized, he walked with God. He walked with God. He walked together with the Lord. I shared before about how I have, we have a, a German Shepherd mixed puppy. Seven months now. But this seven months is like big. Okay, he's a big dog. Very smart. Came with us potty trained for the most part, right? He, he's a good dog. One area particular that's a little bit of a challenge is taking him for a walk. Right? How many of you have dog, how many are dog owners? How many of you walk your dog? How many hire someone to walk your dog? <laughs> All right. Walking with your dog. My dog is so great, but he's so energetic. He wants to smell everything, right? The challenge of walking with my dog is that he just wants to go, right? The pulling thing, right? We try to watch a lot of videos about pulling. This dog wants to just pull, right? He wants to smell everything. Just go here, right? So we're trying to train him. No, 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 no. Don't go here. And then he wants to smell this, and we're ready to walk, and he wants to, he's just really into it, right? So he's just dug in, and he's just sniffing like crazy. I mean, it's a dog, Right? But the point of us walking with dog, what we want to do is train the dog so that when we walk with our dog, he is walking right by us. We are walking him. He is not walking us. So that when we're ready to go, he's right there with us. When he wants to step, he's not dragged. We're not having to drag him. We're not having to chase him. He's not, he's not distracted with all a bunch of smells and he's going this way and this way. We say, all right, Max, when you're ready or when we're ready, you walk with us. All right, that's our goal. We're getting there. We're getting there. Walking with the Lord. Walking together with God. We're not rushing to go forward before God. Say, hey, God, you know what? I'll, I'll check you later. I gotta do this. I'll check back with you at church maybe in a year. Next Christmas, sound good? We're not dragging our feet when God's telling us to move and we're like, oh gosh, I don't know about that. That's a little too scary. I don't want to go here. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to stay in my little comfortable environment. Or we're so distracted by other things when God is going and we're just distracted with stuff. But to walk with the Lord each step of the way. Abel, Enoch, and Noah did what was pleasing to God. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If you have something in your Bible to underline, highlight that, underline it, remember that. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We need faith in the Lord to be pleasing to him, right? We need faith in the Lord that we can trust him with our life. You can trust God with your desires. You can trust God with your plans, your hopes, your dreams, all those things. You don't have to put God in a box and say, God, I have all these desires to pursue. Can I just go do it and check with you later? You can trust God and say, God, here's my heart. Here's my desires. Here's my hopes. Here's my dreams. Can I walk with you and you guide and lead? Open doors, close doors, direct me. Go, may it be with you there by my side. And what you'll see is a God's hand, sovereign's hand, over each step that we take. When temptation tries to pull us in directions, we need to have the faith that the Lord is not withholding good from us. That's the temptation of Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve questioned God's intention for them, his provision for them. They thought God is holding out from us. God doesn't want us to achieve and be more than what we are. And we can fall into that sometimes. We can fall into that temptation. But our world needs a bunch of Enoch's. Especially today. What do I mean by that? They need people, they need to see people who are walking with the Lord. Our generation, this generation of people, not just young generation, adults, all of us, we represent different generations in this room. This world needs to see people, what it looks like for someone to walk with the Lord. And that's going to mean standing out from the generations and we need to be willing to be people who will do that if we're unwilling to stand out among this generation we will find ourselves getting swept away by this generation right I'll say that again if we are unwilling to stand out from this generation we will find ourselves getting swept away with this generation we will get pulled away. And that's just the reality. And we're, we've seen a whole generation and going into the days of Noah as we'll get into the next chapter. That stands out. My challenge for us in closing to remind us, yes, it is difficult this day and age. It is very difficult to stand out. It's very difficult to have a, an opinion or a thought that contrasts against the world's popular sentiment. It's very difficult. There's consequences there. There's heat. You might get some heat for it, right? But the world, again, needs to see what it looks like when people are walking with the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, You say, Lord, without faith it is impossible to please you. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that's true. 
It's many times that we lack the faith, not just believing that you are who you are, but if we're honest, sometimes we can lack the faith that you are, you are the rewarder of those who seek you. And Lord, we can find ourselves seeking so many different things in this world. We seek after success. We seek after material things. We seek after uh, affirmation from people. We seek out excitement and thrills. But Lord, you are a rewarder of those who seek after you. And Lord, I pray that you would find us in this generation that we're living in, these days we're living in now. You would find us seeking after you, walking with you, being willing to stand out among this generation. Embolden us, empower us with your Holy Spirit, strengthening our faith in you. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.